Hi again, and welcome in to the UMBC Ryan Odom Basketball Report. Gary Stein, along with head coach Ryan Odom. We're here at the UMBC Event Center, as you can see. A little bit later on, we'll visit with one of Ryan's players who's starting to make a big impact on the men's basketball team. And as always, we'll talk sports, everything, with uh, John Feinstein, my broadcast partner. But first, UMBC basketball. Yeah. Uh, five and four after the win against yeah. Coppin, a gritty win against a scrappy team. Yeah, we'll talk about it. that in a second. Um, back to Northern Kentucky, which is kind of where we last left off. Sure. What happened out there? Yeah, we got off to an excellent start. Uh, I think first and foremost, Northern Kentucky's a, a very good team uh, this year. They have a lot back from last season where we had a, an absolute dogfight in the rack and we're fortunate enough to come out with a one or two point win. I can't quite remember, but I know it was by one possession. Right, 76-75. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we got off to an excellent start. You know, we were up 9-0, maybe even 11-0. And uh, you know, they came back. I looked up six minutes to go in the half and they had probably 13 points or something like that. So the game was clearly, you know, going in, in our favor at that point and our pace. Uh, and then all of a sudden they threw a little bit of a press on us. We, we had some uncharacteristic turnovers and uh, offense stalled and uh, Northern Kentucky really got out in transition and uh, made some excellent plays in transition and, and really got the game going at their speed. And uh, unfortunately for us, we weren't really able to recover. We went into halftime down uh, with a big number, you know, at that point. And uh, it was hard to hard to come back, but the guys did battle in the second half. I thought R.J. Idle Rock came in, who really hadn't played much, right. you know, this season for us. Uh, you know, helped get get us going there in the second half, and and make the margin, you know, a little bit less than it w would have ended up being. And uh, you know, that that led us to the next game and right. practices. And that kind of segues us because R.J. made his first start, yeah. his first collegiate start against Coppin State, played well. Uh, 12 points. Uh, he and Ricky Council, who we'll meet in a minute, yeah. uh, had a big impact in that second half against a really scrappy Coppin team. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about that game. It did not start great for you opposite yeah, from the course. Northern Kentucky game, yeah. but you guys made a nice comeback. Yeah, no question. And, and Coppin, that was their first home game, obviously. You know, they play a, a really tough schedule. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're traveling the all over the country playing, you know, high major teams. And uh, they were coming off a, a really tough hard-fought loss at James Madison, who has an excellent team this year. They lost in overtime, really had, had their chances to win. And so we knew it would be a tough game. And, uh, you know, we were down Arkell in that game. And, uh, you know, I thought that RJ, you know, came in much like Jose did against High Point yep. and, and played well. And, you know, we've got to get our younger guys. I told them just a little bit ago, you're not freshmen anymore. We got to we got to get the inexperience excuse out of the way. We can't talk about that anymore. We got to we got to get this thing going and get you guys the right experience. And, and uh, you know, I thought Coppin, the Coppin game was a good one, certainly for him. Uh, it was either tied or by two at the half. I don't yeah, remember which. Down and, two. And then Ricky Council hit that three-pointer early yeah. up. Uh, how, how big was that just to give you guys a boost right away? Yeah, no question. I think it was one of those games where Coppin was playing pretty well. They were making some tough shots. We knew we were going to switch some screens on them, and they like to go one-on-one. -on -one. So we were going to put our guys in some call-it mismatch situations, and we had to hold our own. I thought we did that. Uh, we felt like the more that we contested their shots – and stayed between them and the basket that we'd have a chance to, you know, force some more misses and, and get rebounds and then be able to go. And I thought we did that. You know, I thought our guys did that, you know, for the most part. We were able to get a 15-point lead, you know, in the middle, midway of the second half and, and we're able to, to finish the game in a, in a proper fashion.
for the most part this year, you guys have not shot particularly well. Yeah. I think you're about 40%. But in the second half of the Coppin game, you were 15 for 25. Yeah. 60%, about 55% from three-point. What did you notice that was different about the types of shots that you guys were taking? Well, I mean, typically we, we haven't been playing two, you know, typical guards at all times in the game, which is typically what we've done over the first two years since I've been here. We, we have a big lineup that we've been going with recently. And, you know, we felt like it was important to give KJ one more guard out there to right. help, you know, penetrate and, and get some things done there, play a little bit faster. And I think RJ provided that. RJ's a big guy as it is. I mean, he's close to Arkell's size, mm -hmm. you know, from a, you know, a, a stature standpoint. So it's not like we're all of a sudden we're putting, you know, a 5'5 five -five guy out there again. And, uh, you know, I think, I think RJ, you know, is, is a good mix. And I thought Jose came off the bench and made his first shot right away in yep. the first half and, and played more aggressive. He's a very resilient player. You know, he's, he's had a couple instances this season where had some bad things happen, you know, uh, you know a couple plays here or there, then he comes right back you know, and, and fights right back and makes a good one. So that's that's a good sign. So so you've got an RJ on the team. You've got a KJ on the team. If you had an MJ, yeah. oh, my God, you guys Watch would be out. awesome, right? Watch out. Uh, on to Philadelphia, Drexel, 2 o'clock yeah. on Saturday. Interesting team, well-balanced, yes. coached well. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about the Dragons. Yeah, Coach Spiker's done a great job he in has. a short, short amount of time there at Drexel. And, you know, I like his team a lot. You know, they spread the court. They play really fast and efficient on offense. And so, you know, we're going to have to get back in transition and, and guard. And, and it'll be a lesson for us. You know, hopefully we'll learn from what happened at Northern Kentucky. We didn't do a good job in, in defensive transition, and it really hurt us. And hopefully we'll do better in that. We've been working on it, obviously, in practice. Uh, they have a lights-out shooter, uh, you know, who can really play a grad transfer from Cal right. Poly. Uh, they've got a front-court guy who uh, – you know, is really leading them in scoring right now and, and is, is a good player both on the block and outside of three and driving the ball. So he can do all three. So he's a matchup problem that we'll have to deal with. And, uh, you know, we're excited for another road challenge. You know, we haven't had too many games here. Uh, in the event center, we'll be excited to get back on Tuesday, but first thing first at Drexel. Right, and that's actually the game against Towson, and we'll talk about that as the first of three in a row at home. Yeah. So that'll be good. So so the Towson Tigers on Tuesday, not to get ahead of ourselves, but just yeah. to promote a little bit. Yeah. You've got a giveaway on that night. Of course, it's a local rivalry across no the question. Beltway. I mean, that's going to, you know, it's a big early season Baltimore game. Absolutely, no question. And, and we want to do that. You know, we want to play games against our local rivals. I think it's great for the community. Uh, certainly great for both both teams. You know, it was good for us to go to Coppin the other night. You know, you get on a bus, you ride over there, you play the game, you come home, right. sleep in your own bed, you're not having to spend the night out. So uh, not too much loss there from a physical standpoint other than just playing the game. And, uh, you know, I think it's great for the community. So we're excited to, to play against Towson next week. I know Coach Scary, like us, has a new team, and he's, he's working through some things as we are. And so it'll be fun to compete. How much do you keep up with the local guys, like the, the, the Towsons and the Loyolas? And the yeah, Morgans? absolutely. Yeah. I'm mean, pulling for them. You know, obviously, except for when we're, we're right. playing one another here, we want, we want Baltimore basketball to be really, really strong. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about what happens after that. You go on the road. You've got a big game at Penn State. Um, and then back, I think, against secondary before the end of the year, if I'm not sure. mistaken. Um, where's the team right now? You're about six, five, six weeks into the season. Yeah, I think we're doing fairly well. You know, we're still, you know, we're not full strength right now because mm -hmm. Dan's Dan. still hurt. Uh, we're hopeful that Dan can come back, you know, pretty soon. 
And uh, I think we're working through lineups still, you know, which is what you do in the, in the non-conference, trying to figure out who plays well together, all right, putting the pieces together to, to put our best foot forward. And, uh, you know, I think the guys are, are really responsive. They're, they want to do really well. And I'm really proud of their efforts so far. I mean, obviously, you know, we'd like to have the American game back, losing at the right. buzzer, the South Dakota game. Oh where we didn't, didn't you know, play particularly well. Uh, but credit those teams. You know, they did a really good job of finishing us off. And, uh, you know, those are games that we can learn from. I think you spoiled us last year a little bit with your last-minute single-digit <laughs> record, yeah. right? And those two games were both by single digits, yeah, especially no the American game. All right, we're going to yeah. take a timeout. When we return, we will meet uh, one of Coach Odom's players who's starting to make a big impact on the program. Ricky Council will join us when we return to the UMBC Ryan Odom Basketball Report. And welcome back to the show. Gary Stein along with head coach Ryan Odom from UMBC Basketball and joined by Ricky Council, transfer from Providence College. Welcome in. How are you? you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you. And we were just talking about the Coppin game before you joined us, okay. and you had a big impact in that game. Yes, 14 points, four three-pointers. Uh, just talk a little bit about that game. It kind of was your really, you know, coming out as far as UMBC was concerned. Um, just I felt like I just went in the same mindset, um, just trying to make shots, uh, do everything my coach asked me to do. And my teammates have a lot of confidence in me, and it's, it's up to me to make or break it. Right. Yes, you were here last year, yes. but you were ineligible because of the transfer, mm -hmm. um, and UMBC did what it did last year, it and did. you had to watch that from the bench. Yes. Was that difficult at all, or what was that like? Um, it was difficult, but it was a great experience. I feel like uh, every day I practice with the guys. It was, I tried my best to uh, make it hard for them. Uh, where they play defense, I've tried to do my best and on offense and make it hard for them. And watching them, I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. um, going, being at Providence, I really didn't play, so I sat two years there. I watched them, how they, how they won, and um, you know, just coming here, I tried to bring the same thing. And yeah, he's been to three straight now, yeah. NCAA tournaments. Exactly. I mean, two right. at Providence and one at UMBC. This right. guy's a good luck charm. Right? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you see in Ricky when you look yeah, at him? I mean, I, well, first off, I mean, Ricky is, is all about the right things. You know, he's a great student off the court. You know, he's a great citizen. All right, he's a great teammate. He's a really hard worker. You know, from a culture standpoint, he's established a, a, a great you know, uh, culture here for us uh, and fit right in. Uh, from the day he stepped on campus, it was evident that, you know, he was one of us. And uh, it, we're, we're so excited to have him here. And, you know, obviously we love how he plays. I mean, he right. can knock it down. He's open. It's, we, we all expect it to go in. And he's a good handler. You know, he can handle the ball. He's been well-trained, you know, over the years. Uh, loves the game and uh, really wants to, to help the team win. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of, of, of his development so far. Ryan, you said something interesting that, um, that I, like, did a double take on in the preseason. I think I saw it written or maybe you yeah. said it, was that even though Ricky was on the bench last year, yeah. his leadership 
came through. Yeah. And that's not really something that a person says all the time about somebody who doesn't actually participate in the game. Yeah, he's got a level head. You know, he, he doesn't get, uh, you know, out of sorts when things happen. And, you know, some players, some, especially younger players, that, you know, if something goes wrong immediately, it's like, okay, now two more things go wrong. Ricky's got a very level head and, and understands, and he's able to talk to, to, to his teammates in a very positive way, and, and he needs it too. He needs folks to help him, right. you know, with that. He's going to miss two shots in a row, and, and he needs me you know, right there with him saying, hey, knock the next one in, man. You got it. And his teammates have done that here for him so far, and, and we knew it would be a little bit of a, an adjustment period for him because he, he literally hasn't played since high school. You know, he gets to Providence and he's practicing every day, you know, for two years, but gets limited game time, and then he's here sitting out for a year. So that's three years of non, you know, competitive under the lights basketball. And so there's an adjustment period, and and uh, he's doing really well with it right now. Talk a little bit about your experience with Jarris. I mean, because I think that was an important uh, part yeah. about, you know, for us last year, you and him after every practice. After every practice, uh, before practice, even sometimes. Later at night, we would just get together and, and shoot shots, you know, work on moves, and just uh, do things that were game-like. And I wanted to prepare him as well as myself for next year, but prepare him for any game. And um, it was funny how we, I was watching the Vermont game, and the move he made was something that we did every day. It's just something <laughs> yeah. that we, we worked That's perfect. on. perfect. Yeah. So, um, do you do you do you still keep up with him? I do. Yeah. Here and there, I talk to him. I I've seen his highlights. He's doing well, and I'm happy to see that he's doing well, and continuing to do it. Is it difficult for you to not really have played basketball for three years? How, very, how do you how do you view it? It was very difficult. Um, it took me a while to adjust because you know every player things coming out of high school they, they do pretty good there and they think it will translate immediately. It doesn't happen to every player. Right. And I had to get used to that and understand that. I have to keep working and my time will come. And patience was really what I, what I vouched for. I know that, I've, you know, when I talk to younger guys here, it's like patience or guys from last year, it's like, look, I've been in that position, it'll happen, but you can't stop. You have to keep going every day and your time will come. You never know right. when your name gets called. What are your goals for, for this year? I just want to win. Just mm -hmm. want to win. I've seen what it takes three years now, what it takes to go to NCAA and what it takes to win the American East Championship. And I just want to, you know, I just want to win. Whatever That's got to be music yeah, to your no ears. Doubt. No doubt. I told you, he's, a, he's about all the right things. Right. And he's a great teammate. So Steve Levy <laughs> left me a note, the mm -hmm. uh, sports information director. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to put, put on my glasses. Sorry about that. Um, the name game, your, your family. Okay, so you're the oldest of four siblings, <laughs> am, right, I which am. is great. I'm the youngest of four, by really? the way. Okay. Brothers, Ricky the third, Ricky the fourth, and sister Rihanna. Yes. So all starting with ours. Yes. Are your Parents' names? Parents' names are ours. Okay. Ricky and Ruth. <laughs> Ricky yeah. and Ruth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, right, so that's, is that like a family thing? It or? is. It is. Um, my dad really didn't really know of anybody else. Like, he didn't, I guess he didn't want to name us after anybody else, maybe that he knew. Right. And uh, he just named us Ricky. And okay. He, dropped, he ended up dropping the Y, so he goes by Rick now. Right. But, uh, yeah. And we've got Ryan with yeah, us, so yeah. I'm, I'm actually the oddball here. I'm Robert, too. Robert Ryan. <laughs> right, right. Um, speaking, of relation, speaking of parents, mm -hmm. relationships with parents, how much yeah. do you get to 
meet? I mean, I know you do, but how much in, you know interplay is there between you and parents and players? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot actually, I and mean, especially for folks that live nearby. I mean, right. I think that's obviously easier. You know, I mean, Jairus's mom was always over. Jordan's family was always around. I mean, that that part's you know pretty simple. You know, to connect. And, you know, KJ, because of that, that long run that we had, they were able to the He was here out. all the he time, yeah. To, to be around, you know, which was a positive thing. And, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a huge factor. I mean, you know, that's, that's one, of, one of the things that we look at, you know, when we go out and recruit. You know, what type of family situation do they have? Do they have good, good parents that are, you know, about the right things and, you know, want their children to get an education and, and do really well? Um, or is it just all about the basketball? And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate in that all the guys on our team have been raised, you know, in, in, a, in, a, great, in a great way. And uh, certainly Ricky's family is no different. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, and, they really support him. And you're both from Durham, if I'm yeah, not mistaken, I was, right? I was born in Durham. You were born in Durham. He was born in Durham. I, the so hospital that I was born in is no longer there. Watts Hospital is <laughs> okay. what it's called. Right. Where were you born? What was I it? I think I was born in, in UNC Chapel Hill. In Chapel actually. Hill, yeah. yeah. But being a Duke fan back then. Was... Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. I, I grew up on Tobacco Road. Obviously, right, yeah. I had a specific allegiance mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> due to my father. But what was yours? You, Duke. I was yeah. a Duke fan. I watched Duke. Who was your player? John Shire, I like Nova mm. Smith. Oh my gosh, I'm old. I mean, I, I coached like, against those guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm old. I'm old. I thought you were going to say like Mark Allery or something, or <laughs> oh, Jay Billis. His daughter's know. playing that at was, Princeton now. Yeah. Is she? <clears throat> nice. Yeah, she's pretty good. Um, okay, so you're a Duke fan. So that's not going to anymore, though. Well, we're right, I understand. <laughs> but, yes. but, but in the past, like, that wouldn't have played particularly well in this part of town. Just, yeah. no. j- just an FYI. I know, yeah. but the crazy thing is, I remember when Maryland used to beat Duke. Yeah, a lot. Sometimes, yeah. I was like, yeah. Man, what's up, man? <laughs> so, just out of curiosity, when you were growing up, right, and you were a Duke fan, and they were good, right, could you ever have imagined yourself playing NCAA? Like, was it a dream, a goal? That was, yes, all, yes, always. All, all always. Um, and crazy thing, being at Providence, I'm like, wow, it's finally going to happen. And then here, all, I used to talk about it here and there, but I didn't want to rub it in, so I was like, making it a goal for, you know, hopefully the guys could go. And then when I could see them go, it was the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. It was a really good feeling seeing that they that we made it to the, to the NCAA. You've been to three NCAAs. Can you describe what it's like? It's exactly what you see on TV. It's exactly how it feels. Whatever you see, you can be like, wow, I wonder what it feels like. If that's exactly how it feels. Mm-hmm. Going there, different. There's bright, brighter lights. Uh, you know it's one game, one game at a time. And if you win that game, it's special. Every game, every win is special. And uh, just, just trying to – everybody got the same goals to win it. We know what you did in the NCAAs, yeah. but what's it like to coach in the NCAAs? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so fun. You know, I've coached both, both as an assistant and now a head coach. And then Division II, I, mm-hmm. I coached in that, that tournament as well, you know, which is a different, different feeling. But, you know, anytime you're – the biggest thing is when, when you're able to win a championship yeah. like we were able to do. I mean, that's a special feeling. You're able to cut down nets together. I mean, you work so hard and you work so many hours together. And then all of a sudden to have that moment together is really special. And then, you know, the NCAA tournament is like, you know, obviously you're playing for a national championship, but it's, you know, it's kind of like icing on the cake, you know, going to that and being able to play. And, you know, I think our guys, 
you know, showed that, you know, w with the way that they played last year in the NCAA tournament. I wanted them to experience it and have fun and enjoy every moment, but at the same time approach the game no different than we approach any other game. Right. And prepare for that's it and do. do our best. Yeah. And uh, that's what we did. What do you want to, what are you studying and what do you want to do after college? I am studying sociology mm -hmm. and after college I want to own my own recreation centers. Good for you. Yes, yeah, be an entrepreneur. Yes, I do. It's hard work. It is. <laughs> I, think, I think he can do it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ricky. Be you. Best of luck to you. Appreciate All it. Right. All right, Rick. Thanks, All man. Right, yep. Uh, we'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll be with my broadcast partner, John Feinstein. We'll talk uh, everything sports with John when we return right after this. And welcome back to the show. Gary Stein along with uh, Ryan Odom, UMBC head men's basketball coach. And as always in our third segment, joined by my broadcast partner, New York Times bestselling author, John Feinstein. John, welcome in. How are you? I'm just fine. Thanks for asking, Gary. Ryan, feels like we haven't seen each other for a while since uh, UMBC's been on the road. But looking forward to uh, next Tuesday against Towson. Yeah, bad scheduling. We've been away too much this year, so we'll have to refocus and get that situated for next season. Yeah, hey. who, who is it who makes that schedule? Who, could, should, should, who can we blame for that, Ryan? Yeah, we have no idea about that, John. <laughs> hey, John, we were just, uh, before we get to Towson, actually, we were just talking about Drexel coming up in Philly, and uh, a couple of things on that. We'll talk about Army-Navy in a minute. But Zach Spiker, their head coach at Drexel now, had really turned the Army program around before he took the Drexel job, and he's starting to do the same thing at Drexel. Talk to us a little bit about him and what you know about Zach. Zach's a very interesting guy. Uh, you know, his dad was the uh, football trainer at, and may still be the football trainer at West Virginia for about a, a thousand years. I think he is. Uh, so Zach grew up uh, around uh, big-time football and basketball programs uh, and was an assistant coach at Cornell uh, when uh, Steve Donahue put that program on the map with their three straight Ivy League titles. And you might remember their run to the Sweet 16 mm -hmm. in 2010 when they beat both Temple and Wisconsin and lost a close game to Kentucky. And then, as you said, he got the Army job. And Army had always played slow. Their, the philosophy of their coaches, and I'm not talking about Bob Knight and Mike Krzyzewski in the 60s and 70s. I'm talking about, you know, from the mid-'80s, 1990s on, uh, was always, well, we, we're not as athletic as the other teams, so the slower we can make the game, the better. Well, Zach came in and basically said, the heck with that, and <laughs> began pushing the ball, uh, on every possession, shooting threes, uh, which helped their recruiting, I think, because they were playing a style that the kids enjoyed. Uh, and you're right, they won 20 games a couple times. They, they got into postseason, much the way UMBC did a couple years ago, uh, getting into the CIT, which was a big deal for them because they hadn't played postseason since the 1978 NIT when Krzyzewski was the coach. That's right. how long it had been. Uh, and then he, he got the Drexel job, and, and you're right, they, they were at a low ebb. They had a lot of problems with injuries, with players leaving uh, when he took over. And this is his third season now, and uh, they've had, they beat LaSalle, which is a huge win mm -hmm. for them to, to beat a Big Five team. 
Uh, and uh, he is, and he now has his own players in the program, and I think they're very much headed in the right direction and will start to again be a factor in the CAA the way they were for a while there when Bruiser Flint was the coach. I think that's well said. You know, he's 42 years old. He's yeah. right in your, you know, age group. I mean, you've got to, and I know he respects what you do, so this is going to be an interesting, um, you know, meeting between you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I've obviously followed Zach, you know, quite a bit, and I, I know the AD up there at, at, at Army, Boo Corrigan. I've known him mm-hmm. for a long time, and uh, he, he just raves about Zach and, and what he was able to do there. Not an easy job, and, and for him to go in and, and turn it around the way he did, Really, really impressive, and he, like you said, he's doing it again at, at Drexel. Uh, I watch their offense; they really move the ball. They play fast, like John said. Uh, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard-fought game. We're going to have to really get back in transition and and slow it down a little bit. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. you know, to have to be able to have success. Hey, hey, John. Yeah, by the way, Ryan, speaking of bad scheduling, what are you doing <laughs> scheduling a game in Philadelphia against the Army Navy? <laughs> <laughs> That's on Zach. I don't know. <laughs> okay, yeah, we should blame Zach. Zach, of all people, should know better than that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a, I think it's a two-hour time difference, actually. Uh, but John, speaking of that, that is a special day in Philly coming up on Saturday. Uh, you were part of the Navy broadcast team for years. Your your thoughts about the Army Navy robbery? Well, it's it's often hard for me to 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 talk about the Army Navy game without getting emotional, uh, hmm. just because uh, it's my favorite day of the year in, in sports. Uh, I wrote a book on the Army Navy rivalry, as you know, uh, back in 1996 called The Civil War. I'm still very close to a lot of the players on both of those teams. Uh, I do work now for the Army Radio Network, believe it or not. But I always tell people I, I, I'll. I wrote a column in today's Washington Post uh, describing it, and the, the, the way I opened the column was I said that at about 6.30 on Saturday night, I'm going to get a text from my wife, and it's going to say, are you crying? Because I'll be down on the field, they'll be playing the alma maters, and the, my answer will be yes. Wow. Because I, 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 get, I can't get through the two alma maters when they're played back-to-back at the end of the Army-Navy game without choking up. It, it, there, it's a scene you have to see in person. Television can't really express it the way being in the stadium can. Uh, what it means, and, and I'll, I don't want to get too long-winded here, so I'll, I'll just say this. When they play the national anthem at the Army-Navy game, we hear the anthem hundreds of times every year. When they played at the Army-Navy game, and if you look in one direction and you see the Corps of Cadets and you look in the other direction and you see the Brigade of Midshipmen and you see 8,000 hands snap to salute position as the anthem begins, and you understand that all 8,000 of those young men and women, including the 200 on the field, have volunteered to die for our country if they have to, then you know why being in that stadium is special. Hmm. You know, John, it's interesting. You didn't even mention college football at all one time in that whole it's talk. It's so much more than a football right, game. Right, exactly. I, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, it's as hard fought as any football game as you'll see all season. Uh, none, hardly any of these guys will ever play in the NFL. Uh, the only uniforms they'll wear after they graduate are Army, Navy, and Marine uniforms. Uh, but they play football and compete at football as hard or harder than any teams in the country. And that's reflected in, look at the fact that Navy's beaten Notre Dame four times in the last 12 years. Oh. Gary, that can't happen. Right. Notre Dame has every possible advantage you can have as a football school 
Navy has every possible disadvantage you can have as a football school, as does Army, which lost at Oklahoma this year in overtime. So what those young men do as football players, given all the other things they're asked to do and will be doing, is extraordinary. And that's why I have so much respect for all of them and why the game is so special to me, because I've been lucky enough to know a lot of them well through the years. Thanks for sharing that, John. And speaking of the of football and the, and the playoffs, now that the playoffs are set, do you, do you feel that the committee got it right? No, of course not. You, you know me, Ryan. I, I always <laughs> this is John Feinstein. I, and, and I, think, I think UCF, I think if you go undefeated in any sport, you should have a chance to play for a championship. Major college football, Division One, FBS, whatever you want to call it, is the only sport in existence where you can go undefeated and some, you know, bunch of athletic directors and bureaucrats can sit there and say, no, you can't, you're, not, you're not good enough to compete for the, for the national championship. I think it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, and they should all be ashamed of themselves, but you and I both know that they're not. So, but, John, it's easy to criticize. What's the solution? The solution is, is an 18 playoff, Gary, where you guarantee at least one spot to, to non-Power 5 schools. And okay. what you do, so you don't make the student-athletes play an extra game, you get rid of the silly championship games. Do we really need a Big Ten championship game with a four-loss Northwestern team or an ACC championship game with a five-loss Pitt team? We don't need those games. Have automatic bids for the five Power 5 championship teams, three at-larges, guaranteed that one goes to a non-Power 5 school, and you do not make them the eighth seed so that they have to play the number one seed. In fact, if a non-Power 5 school goes undefeated and there are no more than uh, three other undefeated teams, most season there are less, you guarantee them a first-round home game. You play the first, you play the quarterfinals at home sites the first week in December, and then you pick up with the semifinals just as they do it now. It's not that hard. It's actually a pretty good solution. Yeah, yeah. Of course I have a solution, Gary. You know me. I, I know. I know. <laughs> hey, John, you talked about um, – Ryan asked you if he, you thought that the committee got it right. Let me ask you if you think the Ravens have gotten it right about the Lamar Jackson-Joe Flacco situation. If both are healthy, right now it looks like Lamar Jackson will start. Um, is that the right way to go? Well, you know, Gary, I have a bias because I work so closely with Joe. On the book, of course. I'm the book quarterback that's just been out for a couple of weeks now. Uh, and by the way, it's getting great reviews. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can't resist. Uh, but having said that, I don't think you can bench Lamar Jackson while he's still winning. Yeah. They, they've won three straight games. I, I know his numbers aren't, you know, blow away but they've won three straight games and that that's what you play the game for you play the game to win uh now if they lose to the chiefs this week which is entirely possible and lamar isn't spectacular um and and joe is healthy next week then maybe you go back to the experienced guy when you're making your playoff drive and at that point you might be seven and six but if they go into kansas city and win they've got to stick with lamar how would you handle a situation like this? By the way, it's pretty good like for this. someone who a lot of scouts wanted to switch to wide receiver, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a tough situation. And I'll ask you this, John, too. Um, you know, over the weekend, you know, you had Alabama playing Georgia, 
And I know they were forced and thrust into this situation different than the first time mm. uh, in the national championship a year ago when, you know, Saban obviously made the change at halftime uh, and, and switched quarterbacks, and they went on to win. Well, this time it was due to injury, and it was, it was, it was really a great lesson for all of us, you know, with Jalen Hurts and, and kind of sticking it out and, and staying there and, and being part of the solution rather than, uh, part of the problem, and uh, it was neat to kind of see him, you know, have that success down the down the down the stretch there. What were your thoughts in general on that? Yeah, you know what, I I, I don't know Nick Saban personally. Uh, never really, I've never dealt with him. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his attitude towards the media, as you might expect. Hmm. But I, I think you can make the argument he's the greatest coach in the history of college football. If he's not, he's certainly on Mount Rushmore. And the fact that Jalen Hurts stayed at Alabama after losing his job uh, and after being benched in the national championship game says a lot to me about Nick Saban as a coach. Yeah. Because if you look around college football and basketball these days, you know, look at what happened uh, at Clemson uh, with, with the kid who lost his job to the freshman, Kelly Bryant, lost yeah. his job to, to Lawrence. and the next day says, I'm transferring, I'm leaving school, I'm gone, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I think Dabo Sweeney's a pretty darn good football coach, but yeah. Nick Saban was able to get Jalen Hurts to stick around basically just for a moment like that one. Yeah. And that's a tribute to Saban and, as you said, Ryan, also to the kid. Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, great, a great example of, of you know, everything's not going to go your way mm-hmm. and how you respond to it is, is what's most important. And that's not to say that, you know, transferring is a bad thing. Some folks, they need a new opportunity, you know, to... Well, I'm glad Jarris Lyles yeah. transferred. Yeah, no question. And <laughs> I'm glad he didn't at the end, too. <laughs> that's right, because he had the opportunity. That's a very good point. He had the opportunity after his, it, it, your first year yeah. to go to a quote-unquote bigger program as a graduate transfer since he had his degree, but wanted to stick it out and wanted to see things through at UMBC. And uh, I think it's fair to say it worked out pretty well. No doubt. No doubt. You know, speaking of that, it's a good point. Um, talk it because he had a great relationship with Dr. Freeman Rabowski. You kind of facilitated that a little bit. Talk about that and what happened there with Jarris and Dr. Rabowski. Yeah, I mean, we, we finished the season year one. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I didn't have my head in the sand at that point. You know, Jarris was an exceptional player and we knew he would have options. And so, you know, I wanted to get out in front of it. And, you know, I had already spoken to him prior to the season ending and just said, you know, we're going to chat at the end of the year. Just understand I know the position that you're in. We don't need to talk about it right now. But when the season ends, I want to sit down with you and your family and, and the people that are going to help you make your decision uh, and just give you all the information that you need. And if it's a situation where, you know, we feel and you feel it's best for you to go somewhere else, just know that I'm not going to get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to help you do that, in fact, and and say great things about you and, and, and all that. And, uh, you know, I, think, I thought it was my, my job in that moment to, you know, be all about him and what was best for him. And not my job to make his decision for him, but provide him with all the facts you know, of folks that have left and gone on to do things, and what's the history there of people that have been in his position before? How does it end up? Uh, and there have been some successes. There have been, you know, some not-so-good situations that have happened. And, you know, I think Jarris, in his own mind, honestly, even before we met, 
you know, had a feeling that he wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I reached out to Dr. Rabowski because I felt like, you know, deep down, you know, here at UMBC, it's more than just, you know, sports and, and putting your best foot forward there. It's about, you know, what's going to put you in the best position 20 years from now? And let's don't make a seven-month decision mm-hmm. right now, all right, when we really need to be thinking, you know, bigger than that. Mm-hmm. You know, let's think 20 years down the line. Well, all of a sudden, if you leave, you know, you're not going to have a relationship with, you know, Dr. Rabowski and all the people here that have mentored you during the time during your time at UMBC. You're kind of giving that up, and uh, I think he understood that, and and uh, also, you know, he also understood that you know our team had a chance, you know, a, a legitimate chance right. to compete for something. He wasn't ready to leave his his teammates and coaches, and uh, credit him for making a mature decision. Worked out great. Let me just say one other, add one other thing to that. Two other things, Gary. One, I would really like if he's got some free time to get Freeman Rabowski to negotiate my next book contract for me <laughs> because I, I just like to have him on my side. I think, and, and, I think, and I think, I think we should bring it up at the next board meeting. Get me a lot more money than I'm making right now. <laughs> the other thing that you touched on, Ryan, and, and I think when I talked to Jarris about this too, all, all of you, Dr. Rabowski, you, Jarris himself, were aware of legacy. Yeah. that Jarris had a chance to leave something special behind at UMBC. Yeah. And that, let's say, hypothetically, he transferred to, for lack of a better term, Maryland. And he went to Maryland, and, you know, maybe they would have made the NCAA tournament if they'd had him uh, and, and might have won a round or something like that. Okay, Maryland's been national champions. I mean, so Jarris would have been just another guy who passed through there. He is very much a part of UMBC history because he opted to stay. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Hey, John, let me ask you a final question. Uh, not because Niagara beat Pitt the other day or because any specific you know, upset may have occurred, but do you think in general uh, good mid-major players who stay the course, that's one of the reasons why the gap is narrowing a little and we see some of these upsets between mid-major schools and top schools? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of games that are played now where you have – um, uh, I, I don't like, even like the term mid-major, Gary, anymore because I, I think the gap has narrowed so much. But uh, So I call them so-called mid-majors. Mm. Um, you, they're playing with kids who are third, fourth, fifth-year players. Right. A lot of times uh, the, 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 big, the so-called big-time teams are playing with freshmen and sophomores and kids who aren't going to be around to be juniors and seniors. And I, it wasn't an upset. It ended up being a, a big margin. But look last night at what Hartford did against Duke for 25 minutes. Exactly, yeah. I mean, they, they were right with them. Well, Hartford's got experienced guards. They weren't intimidated by going into Cameron Indoor Stadium or by any of Zion Williamson's dunks. And in the end, Mike Krzyzewski said, we were able to pull away only because we played really hard. And, and if they hadn't played really hard, that game might have gone to the buzzer. And Radford, you know, for example, has already – one at Texas and at Notre Dame this year. Yeah. And there are all sorts you meant you mentioned the the Niagara Pitt score, but there there you know, Furman beat one at Villanova right. and, and is now ranked. So yeah, I absolutely think the gap has been narrowed. And uh, there was this game last year, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um <laughs> it was a sixteen beating a one in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> and they won by twenty. Yeah. And I Remind me which teams those were, but cheapers. If that wasn't an example of the gap being narrowed, Virginia's trying to narrow the gap on UMBC right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. John, thank you so much. Pre- appreciate you as always, and I'll see you next week. 
I'll see you next week. And, Ryan, I just hope you don't run into any presidential traffic in Philly. <laughs> no. He had to get it in there. He had to get it in there. Love you, John. All right, John. Take care. John Feinstein joining us, and we're out of time. Yeah. Flew by. That was a great one. Thank you. Good luck Saturday. Thanks, as always. And we'll we see you Tuesday. It. Yep, Alrighty. you got it. For Ryan Odom, for John Feinstein, and for Ricky Council, I'm Gary Stein thanking you. This has been the UNBC Ryan Odom Basketball Report.